at the Boise Nampa Institute are so grateful that so many of you out there uh, across the world are listening uh, from week to week. It's a humbling experience to uh, to have you out there listening and to think that anything that we say might have some value to others is, is wonderful. Uh, we think also that it's important that our voices aren't the only voices out there. So we've created a Facebook page called the Come Follow Him Podcast Group. That's the name, Come Follow Him Podcast Group. And we hope that this might be a place for our audience members to come together and share some thoughts and insights from week to week. We would love for that to be maybe even an institute class for some of you that are 18 to 30 years old. Each week we're going to post a question relevant to the discussion that we had on the podcast and we'd love to have each of you respond to the question or really any aspect of the discussion that we had. Once you respond there, someone from our institute will reach out after the first time you respond and find out if you want to take this as a class to receive some institute credit. All you have to do is three things. One is every week you'd listen to the podcast, which you're already doing, so good job. Uh, Second, log into the Facebook group. Again, that's the Come Follow Him podcast group. Find the question for the week, respond to that question, or again, make any comment you want based on the conversations we had, and you'd get credit for attending. We'll keep track of your comments, and if you've allowed us to register you for the online class, uh, we'd give you a credit for each week you participate in the discussion. And then anyone that uh, comments more than 75% of the time on posts that we put out there, uh, you'll get institute credit towards the class. So. Hopefully that's a a resource for some of you out there with institutes far flung from you. Want that to be an option for you. Uh, Really, we want everyone out there to participate in this discussion uh, online. So no matter where you live, we'd love to hear your insights into the Come Follow Him conversations that we're having. And if you'd also like to institute credit, we can help you get that too. Either way, log into the Facebook page. Simply go to the search field and type Come Follow Him Facebook group. Again, that's the Come Follow Him Facebook group. We look forward to getting to know you all just a little bit better as we all learn to come follow Him. Welcome to the Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Exciting to be with you this week um, uh, with a new friend of mine, um, Sister Cassidy Piper. Sister Piper, welcome. Hi, thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's good to have you here. Um, Now, Cassidy has been with Seminary and Institute for how long now? Eight years. Eight years. But I don't think I ever really interacted with you until just this past summer. Yeah, right. I was in Utah for the first five. So how long have you been here in the Boise area? Um, I'm just coming up on my third year. Third year. So because of COVID and then just all the changes that we've had in our area, I just have never really interacted with you until just this summer. And 
uh, I had the opportunity of uh, being a session director for one of the FSY sessions we did here in town. Which isn't that just the coolest oh, thing? Oh man, it was so cool. And you came and got to be one of our, our instructors. Yes, loved it. And you did such a fantastic job. Well, thank you. It was so fun to watch you and, and, and see you interact with the young people and, and uh, just your rapport with them is so natural and com comfortable and fun. So, Anyway, so I was excited to, to have you on the podcast. Yeah, here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So tell us before we jump in a little bit about you. You said you lived down in Utah for five, six years while you were SNI. What, where are you from? What is your story? Tell us, tell yeah. us about it. So I'm just from Orem, Utah, which is right next to Provo. Okay. And lived there most of my life, went to BYU-Idaho, and then came back after school, decided to pursue seminary. And I taught for a few years down there and loved it. I uh, loved my faculty. I was on like a huge faculty, right. one of the biggest ones ever. And then I came to Boise and was on a solo faculty. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of transition. But I moved up here because I was dating my now husband. Oh, fun. And he has a son from a previous marriage. And so I kind of knew the whole time if one of us was moving, yep. it would be me. It would be you. <laughs> uh, and it worked out. We talked to seminary institutes and it ended up moving me six months earlier than we anticipated. Oh, there was an opening in the middle of the year. And I came and taught at Bora High School and loved it. And I just Great. finished teaching there. Um, after two and a half years, and I miss them a lot, but I'm now at Meridian High School, yeah, yeah. and I have a faculty again, and I love my <laughs> faculty, and I love my students, so it's been a bittersweet oh, transition. Fun. How long have you been married then? Did you say Just that? two years. Two years. Two years married, and it's going okay? Yeah. You like marriage? I do. I very much <laughs> like my husband. That's good. Well, it's exciting to have you here today. We chatted before we hit record here, and I'm excited about some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Um, again, I just think you're way in the scriptures is so natural. It's one of the things that um, we're hoping to uh, really get through this podcast is a natural look at the scriptures, what's there and relevant. Um, you know, Paul sometimes, especially as we're in the, the letters from Paul, um, is a little, uh, it can be a little difficult to understand what he's trying to say. You kind of need to know the context, what was going on in some cases. Um, and so I think we can get kind of stuck in looking at the context and the story of the Corinthians and right and who who were they and what was their background and and while I think that's important ultimately the scriptures were preserved to provide us with the principles that are there right and uh, and so if we can if we can pull those principles out and we can look at those principles and find relevance to us that's I think the whole the whole point. And so that's really what I, uh, I've, I've loved about this podcast is it just is allowing us to not worry so much about the detail and to get into looking at what's relevant and what the Savior would have us know in our day. So with that, um, I maybe we'll just turn time over to you. Tell us where you want to start, what we should look at. Okay. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 through 13. Is that right? Yes. 8 through 13. And, uh, and with that, Sister Piper, teach us. Okay. Where, should, where should we start? Let's just start right in chapter 8. Okay. So here it begins that, you know, we know that the saints in Jerusalem are needing a little bit of extra help. And mm -hmm. so he's soliciting the saints in Corinth to kind of use the, their substance and bless those in Jerusalem. And really it's just a charity efforts over chapter 8 and 9. But mm -hmm. I found a lot in here that I felt was really relevant. And I'm just excited to talk about because there's some things that I want to know. Mm. Let's start in verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. So it seems like what I know about Corinth is they're a pretty excelled community. Yeah. And they're known for wealth and they're known for knowledge and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And here it kind of reminds me of chapter 13. Sure. 
if you have all those other gifts, if you're a great speaker, if you can move mountains, it doesn't mean anything yeah. if you don't have charity. charity. So see that you bound in that. Like It's great that you excel in everything else. Faith, mm. utterance, knowledge, diligence. But make sure you excel here. If you excel in anywhere, grace. make sure it's, it's in, in your grace. Yeah, that's great. Um, I love the, um, the next verse maybe. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. It, it reminded me of how uh, the word of wisdom was given. At first, not by way of commandment, right? It was, hey, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be hard for you. And I'm not commanding right now because that, that might be something that you'd be uh, condemned for or you know, made accountable to if I commanded it right now. But, um, but for these people, this would, have been, this would have been hard. This would have been a challenge. Um, and then, then verse 9, For ye know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, <laughs> okay, now I think about Christ and I think, okay, I don't think of him as like a rich man. <laughs> I think of the same thing. <laughs> but listen to the next part of that verse. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. So Paul is speaking at a different level here. He's not speaking on, on the nose, right, about rich and poor people. Right. He's not speaking about... Um, grace in the way that the world might pre present it, right? Like, oh, he's so kind to the people around him and he's very outwardly expressing all those things. He's talking to people who need to provide something that may they may never be known by, right? It may never be known that this guy in Corinth donated this thing to the people in Jerusalem and, and that they need to be okay with that. They needed to be willing to not be the known person for their grace. I didn't even think about it that way, especially if... That's what, if they just get, you know, credit for all their amazing other things that mm -hmm. they need to do. He's like asking them to do a hard thing yeah. and to not get any credit. But then I love that he makes sure they know, but that he brings them back to the greatest example. Mm -hmm. Like we can do it because he already did it. Yeah. And any goodness in you is from him anyways. Yeah, for sure. So what are you giving up? Right. But what he already gave you. Yeah, no you know? kidding. Right, yeah. Yeah, and it speaks a little bit to the, the Corinthians, right? People that, that had sat around and talked about these wonderful ideas that they individually would come up with, and then they'd praise each other for their newfangled idea. And then, right, it was, it was kind of a culture of, look at what we can come up with. And Paul's trying to correct that and say, no, no, let's just look at what Christ did. It's pretty simple. It's, it's not all ornate. It doesn't have to be all these new, new things. Um, and in just being gracious, he's teaching them a, a very simple way of doing that. Yeah. And I think, I think it's actually really beautiful. Wonderful. It does that. Um, anything else here in the first part of 8? I, I want to skip down to 12. Okay. 13, 14. Yeah. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. I love that. He's saying, listen, you may not have tons, mm -hmm. but if you're willing to serve, the Lord counts it. And I know that we're talking to a lot of young adults, at least for me, my young adult years were not yeah. my richest time of life. And there's something about, are you willing to serve even if you can't serve maybe the way you've always wanted to? Yeah, if there first be a willing mind, it's accepted according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Yeah, yeah he's not looking cool. at your lack. Yeah. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. I'm going to read 14 and then I want to yeah, talk yeah. about that. But by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this before we got rolling. I love these two verses. To me, there's so much wisdom here. Mm -hmm. First of all, he doesn't want 
they're lifting someone else's burden to cause a burden for themselves. Mm -hmm. But instead, he says, but look at your abundance. Mm -hmm. Is there something you have abundance that may supply someone else's want? And what I wrote even in my notes is what has God blessed me with in abundance that he expects me to share? Mm -hmm. Initially, we go to financial support, mm -hmm. but I think there's so many other things we're blessed with abundantly. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe there's a lot of people that aren't blessed abundantly financially. That's not the way they can give. For some people, it's time. Mm -hmm. But if you're in school and if you're working and if you're you know, trying to take care of your callings, maybe you don't even have time. Yeah. But do you have, these are some of the things I thought of, and maybe you can add some. Do you have an abundance of happiness that sure. you could share? Right. Do you have an abundance of an athletic ability yeah. that you could somehow maybe grace someone yeah, with? that's great. Baking skills. I love being <laughs> blessed with someone's baking skills. <laughs> Kindness, letter writing, clothing that could be donated, talents that could be shared. Like, stop and look around your life and say, what does God give me extra yeah. that He expects me to bless someone else with because I have? That's really great. I think that, I think it's easiest... Maybe, maybe it's easiest to see it in our temporal world, right? Where, where do I have excess? Where do I have, um, whether it's financial or it's my skills, my gifts, my talents, um, that we tend to look so outwardly on, right? When, when we put up a talent show, 90% of it is music, people that can do music. And occasionally you get a dancer come through. Right. Very rarely do you get any artists come up with their art and show something that they've done. Occasionally you do. But kind of that's it, as if those are the only talents that we have, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would only add to your list uh, things that maybe we have an abundance. The first part of your list shared some things that way. Um, but maybe we have an abundance in the capacity to listen. Wow, yeah. Or the capacity to understand. There's, there's a lot of us spiritual gifts that um, have to do more with a capacity that God gave us to continue in this life within within our spirits, um, to understand certain things, to have faith in simple ways, um, without having to see things. Right? That would be a uh, a gift that I think um, Samuel Nephi's brother was given. That Nephi was the guy that had to ask, and then he was shown, and and it was awesome. He was given some fantastic visions, and and saw all the things his dad uh, had seen. But when Nephi goes and tells Sam. Sam just believes. He's like, yeah, okay, I believe you. <laughs> and they just moved on, right? Yeah. And, and, and to have that uh, gift to offer to others that I just believe. I don't have to be shown all this. And sometimes I think we think those things aren't valid in, uh, when we have it in abundance and we can offer it to other people. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that are like that. We, you and I talked about one just before we hit record. Um, before we do episodes, we often start with a prayer. In fact, we always usually start with a prayer. And, and uh, uh, you offered our, our prayer before this. And, and just you, the way that you speak to God was touching to me. And I think that uh, I thought, actually, as I was listening, I hope her students get to hear her pray for, her, for them. And so we talked just briefly before we hit record about how you have an abundant relationship with God and your communicative skills with Him um, that I think you can share with others, right? And and those aren't those aren't monetary gifts. They're not just things financially that we have or extra temporal things. Um, but what is it that you're being asked to to offer because you have it abundantly? I love how you're seeing that. Thank you, and thank for that's a huge Beautiful. compliment. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, but I also love. Uh, verse 13, I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, that 
I think sometimes we get a calling or we get a new assignment and we think, oh, my task is to, to take away this burden from this person or these people. And I don't think that's how the Lord does it. I think the Lord says, we just want you to offer what you can offer to lighten everyone's burden. And I expect the same of them to lighten the burdens of those around them in their sphere. Um, while he's asking to help the people in Jerusalem, I don't think he's taking anything away from the expectations on the people in Jerusalem either. Uh, maybe they just have a need they can't fulfill right now. Right. And uh, so I think there's something there too that, that maybe is important. Talk to me though about the young person, a young person. You're, you're not old. Um, Thank you're, you. You're just maybe out of what the church might call a young adult, right? Uh-huh. Um, so tell me how this looks to a 20-something who, like you said, doesn't have a lot of financial abundance, is maybe in serving in a ward that has a lot of young adults, everybody's single, everybody's you know, trying to provide their offering, and there's only so many callings that can go around. How does this look in that space when they feel like they're already stretched pretty thin and they don't have a lot to offer in that world? Yeah, I've been wrestling with this kind of question just how do I ease other people's burdens without adding to my own load? Yeah. And I love that in the context of these young adults who really do have a lot going on. And I think probably, I imagine there's a lot of people listening that just feels a lot of pressure yeah. to do and to be more constantly. I think we're going to get to some things in a little bit, but what just keeps coming to mind is... As you are trying to lift other people's burdens, are you letting the great burden lifter lift yours? Mm. And I, because I, I worry we just juggle too much. Yeah. And we just are so, so, so busy because we feel like we've got to do more or be more. Or, or in your 20s, it feels like this is when you have to become, become successful. And if yeah. you haven't figured it out by then, right. it's over. You yeah. know? Right. And even though that's not true, I remember feeling that. I remember feeling like once I hit 30, like, then everything was kind of downhill, right, yeah. which is sad because <laughs> now true, I'm past but yeah. that, it's not. But I felt, like, I felt like everything that exciting and big had to happen in my 20s. Yeah. And if it wasn't happening, then I was, something was wrong with me. Sure. But I don't, I don't know. I think it's actually some of this most beautiful time that you actually could slow down and say, like, what do I want and what does God want for me? Mm. And I hope that equation includes blessing other people's lives, but it shouldn't be done at the expense of your own yeah. taking care of yourself. But I, I still don't know if I know the balance totally. Like, what is the balance of self-care if, like, a world's really big into self-care right, yeah. and taking care of others? How do we find a good balance? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I, I, I love that you brought self-care into it. I think self-care becomes selfish very, very easily. Yeah. Um, and I think when we don't... Um, when we don't consider the eternal plan and our place currently in it, whether I'm 22 or I'm 45 or whatever it is, if, if we don't consider the plan and where I'm currently at in that, then self-care uh, does become selfish, right? At 22, um, mid-college, mid-looking for a spouse, mid-trying to figure out what your career is going to be, there should be some self-care that's like pretty focused on you need some you time to just like think and ponder. I was listening to President Nelson's invitation uh, to the young adults in the world uh, to, to take institute classes, right? 
And he he kind of starts that conversation by saying, you're making some eternally formative decisions that are like going to affect everything, right? And I thought, as he says that, I was thinking, oh man, that's scary. And then he says, and that might be scary, <laughs> right? So for sure, at certain times, there are times in our lives where we do need to we do need to take some time for ourselves and look more inwardly. And maybe there are times later in our lives um, when we've got kids and a spouse and we're running from thing to thing where that self-care, um, that inward need, um, maybe starts there, starts with them first and making sure their needs are met. Um, and then once their needs are met, I have time. I think of the Savior who had just lost his cousin uh, John the Baptist, and was walking away to be alone and needed to, to have some time to be alone, um, but turns and finds this massive group of 5,000 people following him and then cared enough about them to sit them down in the grass, to feed them, to teach them, and spends the whole afternoon with them later to go and find his own time, right? He did find his time, but... Um, and maybe I've shared that before in, in the podcast, but I just think it's important. I think there's a lesson there that that maybe there are times where my self-care can be second and and I don't put it first and I don't prioritize myself above all else every time. Um, for sure, in, in situations of abuse and things like that, that's a totally different conversation. But, but when when I can see serving others and lightening someone else's burden... Um, as an option, maybe more frequently I ought to take that option instead of look back at myself and say, what do I need? How do I feel right now? Uh, maybe, maybe. But but again, I don't know that there's a, a perfect answer for that either. Right. I'm sure it's like probably one of those questions everyone asks, how do I balance yeah. everything? Yeah. And every situation, yeah. the balance will look a little bit different. Yeah. But I thought the question that coming to my mind, is it possible to have selfless self-care? Mm. And I think... What I kept hearing and what you were saying is if we include the Savior in the equation, yeah. then everything we do will be better, our service to others, but also our service to ourselves. Mm. And and then our self-care isn't, I need a break yeah. from the world. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I'm going to fill my bucket so I have more to give. Yeah. So I can be more like Him because I can't be like Him if yeah. I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, that's really well said. That's so much better said than the way I was trying to say it. That was <laughs> so much so. better. You know, and it, it made me think. I asked the que- I used to ask the question all the time to all of my uh, leaders, my priesthood leaders or my mentors, just people that I was trying to figure things out from. I would say, help me understand how I balance things, especially in this job. Everything's a church. I say no to someone and it's some stake president or Area 70 <laughs> or some boss that has like major standing in the church, right? Everything is saying no to some church leader in some way. And, and so I really struggled early on, I think, especially, I still struggle, my wife will support that I still struggle saying no, um, but I really struggled early on to find a balance, and when I would ask the question, tell me, figure out a balance, um, I often would be told the same kinds of things, we'll pray about it, you'll know. And I'm like, like, I haven't been praying about it, I pray about it all the time, that's <laughs> why I'm asking you, because I feel like I'm supposed to ask you, so I'm asking. But one time, I was given some counsel from Chad Webb, actually, um, and I, he had just been called as a stake president, I believe, and uh, he came to an area conference we had back when areas were regions and regions were non-existent, 
and uh, and I asked him the question, Chad, how do you balance? And his counsel was so brilliant. He said, I don't know. He said, but if if things always get the same amount, then you're wrong. You're doing it wrong. If your church calling always gets first and foremost, or your family always gets first and foremost, or your job, or any one of them is always before the other one, then you're imbalanced and you're out of balance. Some days, and, and Zach Evans has, has emphasized this too in my life, he said some days your church assignment, your calling will be first and it will take precedence over your family. But some days you should say to your family, I'm going to put you first and everything else is going to go in the back. And if those things are ever always in the front, then maybe we're out of balance in some ways. Maybe we haven't, we are adding a burden to someone and not intending to mm. when we aren't thinking about it that way. Anyway, I just love that counsel. I think that was wise counsel. I think so too. Yeah. There's never a one size fits all answer. You have to. Right. Okay, keep going. We're in, we're, that's in eight. Anything, yes. anything else in eight before we jump into nine? Let's go to nine. It's okay. going to continue this conversation. Um, he gives us some reasons why we should you know, waste away in the service of others and why we should give of our substance. He says in six, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Mm -hmm. And I have this quote here that really resonated with me. It's from Marion G. Romney. He said, I am a firm believer that you cannot give to the church and to the building of the kingdom of God and be any poorer financially. Mm -hmm. I remember when Brother Melvin J. Ballard laid his hands on my head and sent me apart to go on a mission. He said in that prayer of blessing that a person could not give a crust to the Lord without receiving a loaf in return. Mm. That's been my experience. If the members of the church would double their fast offering contributions, the spirituality in the church would double. We need to keep that in mind and be liberal in our contributions. Mm. I loved that. And I feel like, I remember when I went on a mission, I served in Nashville, Tennessee, and I remember before I went feeling like, I'm really sacrificing for the Lord here. <laughs> I was 21, I was stopping my college, I was stopping my, you know, what I felt like were my chances for an immediate marriage, mm -hmm. and I'm putting all that off and making this great sacrifice a year and a half of the time. Mm -hmm. At this point in my life, I am embarrassed to call it a sacrifice <laughs> because what I gave for what I got in return mm -hmm. was so, <laughs> it really was a crumb to a loaf of bread. Yeah. And, I feel that I just that's one thing that I understand that service can take time and a lot from us but any sacrifice we make for the Lord he is a giver and sometimes I feel a little bit embarrassed by how much he gave back when I'm like but I didn't pay that much oh, for this right, you know right it, 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 as you talked it reminded me of a couple things a couple of scriptures actually first in Mosiah chapter 4 um, where we're taught that uh, all things are done in wisdom and order Mm -hmm. And that we not run faster than we have strength, right? That it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. I think what's interesting there to me is that in connection to 2 Corinthians 9, 6, if I sparingly sow, I will sparingly reap. And God doesn't tell me to sparingly do anything. Yeah. Right? He, he, in fact, in, in the Mosiah chapter 4, verse 27 verse, he invites us to run just not faster than you're able. I mean, I think so many of us see that verse and we're like, I don't have to run. I can like crawl. I don't, I don't have to do anything, right? And I don't think that's at all what he's saying. Right. He's just saying, you don't have to run faster than you're capable of running, but run, get up and run, right? Do the work, go so heavily, right? 
And, and the other thought that came to me as you were talking about your mission was uh, King Benjamin, chapter 2 of Mosiah, where he's talking about an unprofitable servant, right? As soon as you go out and you serve, God blesses you and gives you more. So there's nothing you can do that, that ever makes up for any of the blessings he gives you, and he's going to give you way more blessings than you have capacity to even receive. And so the idea that I'm going to go and offer <laughs> right. is kind of silly. Because we it's are always the indebted servant. Yeah, and, and, and I think we get that way, I think, in our lives, maybe in how we receive callings. Sometimes I see people, and probably have been guilty of it myself, um, where I receive a calling that I think I'm very well suited for. And I think, oh, I know why I got this calling, because I can offer, <laughs> right? And, and I just don't think that's how the Lord does it. I think maybe there's something I can offer. Um, but I think for the most part, the Lord gives us callings so we can learn and grow. He gives us new assignments in our families and in our work and in all those things. So that the, with the objective of the plan of salvation to become more like Christ, I don't think he lets us sit back very often and just do with what we have. And I think when we look at a calling or a new assignment as a, oh, I got this. I'm just going to do the same thing I've done before. And I'm so capable of this. Man, I think we're missing the whole point yeah. um, of being becoming, right? Mm -hmm. Having the opportunity to become. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. That is. I like it. Okay, can I just read verse seven too? Please. So we talked about reaping sparingly um, and sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully. Then verse seven: Every man according as he proposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerf cheerful giver. Um, I think we had a question one time in a, in a uh, gospel doctrine class. Uh, somebody said, is it okay to go serve if I don't want to serve? It can't, don't I get blessings anyway? I mean, I come back and I know I did the right thing and, and, uh, and aren't I going to be given the same blessings whether I went grudgingly or I didn't go grudgingly? And, and we, we kind of bantered that about back and forth. And, and then a member of our uh, previous stake presidency who sat very quietly uh, actually, it was the next week he came back, and he pointed to this scripture, and he said, uh, no, I think as we're talking about sowing and gathering, um, we, when we do it grudgingly, we are sowing sparingly. We are doing a good thing. We're sowing seeds, but we're sowing sparingly. And if God loveth a cheerful giver, President Nelson um, has given talks about God's love and how ultimately the most we can receive from God is because of our obedience. Um, the most love he can offer us is from being obedient to commandments and doing so cheerfully and having having uh, uh, understanding that is right about it. So I, I just love that verse too because I think it ties us to not just doing all the checklists, right? Yeah. But doing it not out of necessity, or grudgingly, but cheerfully, recognizing why I'm doing it, not just that, I, that I'm supposed to do it, right? Right. Maybe. I was looking up earlier when I was just reading through some of this stuff, and there's a talk about um, desires by Elder Oaks, and he talks about, like, yeah. kind of like, basically it's a good, better, best for reasons why we serve. Yeah. And, but one of the things, because that's something I wonder, but what if I don't feel it? What if I don't want to serve, but I know I should serve? Yeah. 
and so I just don't, but that doesn't totally feel right, right. to me. And he just reminded me of Moroni 748, because it's all about charity. Pray with all the energy of your right. heart for that yeah. gift. And so if you don't if you don't have it in you, ask for it from him who does. Yeah. He is I, just Jesus' life was service. Well, and it, it ultimately came back to that he had charity. He understood why he was doing it. His his capacity to love was not better necessarily than ours. It's just he was willing to understand why he loved somebody. And and we have the capacity to love the same way. We just limit it by all the other factors we throw into it, right? I know this person, and so I don't love them because they have problems, right? Yeah. As opposed to like, oh, I, I just fully I love, love them. them. Right, and, and uh, I, I was just thinking, I, I, uh, I, I think it's important that we really learn to understand how to love like Christ loved in order to understand how I should be and how I should see other people. That talk I was referencing earlier um, was from a 2003 talk by uh, President Nelson called Divine Love, and I think it's really an important talk. It helps us understand that love... Effectively, what he says is, well, I should just read some of it here. Um, he says, uh, while divine love can be called perfect, infinite, enduring, and universal, it cannot correctly be characterized as unconditional. That God's love, in its fullest capacity, actually does have some conditions. In order for me to receive all that he has for me, I have some conditions that I have, to, I have to meet. Now, does that mean that God won't eternally love me? No, that's not what it's saying. But unconditionally, that there are all the blessings available to me without any conditions? No, that's not true. And I think that's uh, sometimes how the Savior loves us, that He wants us uh, to act and not just be acted upon. And in order to do that, sometimes He corrects us. That doesn't feel like love, but it ultimately is. And conversely, I think sometimes he expects us to do the same kind of thing as we love other people. And it isn't just a blind, oh, I love you, pat you on the head, send you off to the village, love in. Right? I mean, that's just not how Christ mm -hmm. was, and yet that's what we've turned him into. Right? We've said, Christ is this bumper sticker Jesus that would always just give you a hug and tell you he loves you. And probably that's true, but then he'd back up and tell you what you're doing wrong and how to fix it and that you should fix it, right? Um, but we've, we've turned Christ into an antichrist almost by saying he doesn't have any expectations on you. And, and I think he does. I think that's how he lived his life, full of expectation. Um, good and righteous expectation, but, but it was there, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and I, we see this here when he's saying serve, yeah. and, but do it cheerfully and yeah. do it willingly. Like he's he's always, he's raising the bar for us. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, so that's nine, takes into ten. Great. Okay, there's some great stuff in ten. A few verses that I wanted to point out. Uh, verse five, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That imagery to me is really cool. That I'm bringing, and I, I don't know, I know we probably don't love the word captivity because we love freedom. And, yeah. <laughs> and But I feel like here, like I am just aligning everything to him willfully. I'm willingly giving up my mind to him. And so not only as we're talking about we're serving like him, not only am I giving my heart to him, but I'm giving my mind, my head to him. 
so that I eventually think like he thinks. Yeah. And, and it, it maybe goes on in seven, right? Do you look on, the, on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's, right? If, if I am Christ's and I'm, and I'm trying to live my life that way, verse 7, the very beginning, do you look on things after the outward appearance? Well, is that the only reason I'm doing it? Because other people will see me do it? Mm. Well, we're all doing that. I think that's kind of what he's getting at at the end of that. Even so, we're all Christ. We're all doing it, right? And nobody should be looking around going, well, he's like Christ, so I'm going to do it like him. No, no, we're Christ. So we're doing it like Christ. And so if, any, if we're doing it for anybody else to see other than Christ, we're missing the purpose, Yeah. right? I'm supposed to want to become like someone else. It's okay for me to look somewhere and be like, I'm going to be like him because it should be Christ. But when we look left and right and we say, I'm going to be like him and I'm going to be like him. Now, I can have a mentor. I can say, he's really good at this thing. Teach me. I'm going to learn from him because he's a living mentor right next to me. But if I'm looking at that guy saying, he's it, I need to become like him, he is supposed to be coming like Christ, right? He's supposed to be looking up and not left and right. Now, he maybe has a mentor, but ultimately the mentor, the, the massive mentor should be Christ in all of our lives. So I just love that, and I think that captivity every thought, right, bringing into that captivity every thought to be the obedience of Christ is exactly that. I need to say, what would Christ do? And not just what do I think the world wants Christ to have done, but what, what do I think he do? would have actually have yeah. done and then do that thing so that Christ can see it, not so that everybody around you can see it. Yeah. It's so interesting. Verse 12 just continues on with that thought of not looking to the left and to the right. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. So other people that think they figured it out, yeah. we shouldn't compare ourselves to them. Yeah. And then this part really struck me as I was studying. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Mm. I was explaining that this was something I, I get that we shouldn't compare ourselves to others. Like that's a message we hear a lot. But I think that what I struggle with is comparing myself with who I think I should be. Sure. Comparing myself with myself. Yeah. And, but if we go down to 18, for not he that commendeth himself is approved. So I'm not, I'm not trying to become something so I approve of myself. Yeah. That's not even, right. it's not about what they think. It's not even about what I think. Yeah. It's about, but whom the Lord commendeth. Yeah. Who does the Lord want me to be? And is he okay with where I'm at right now and helping me move forward? Then why am I beating myself up for something he's not even telling myself? So good. 13. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Mm, I can't yeah. hold you to my standard, and you can't hold you to your standard. I should be holding you to God's standard and you should be holding yourself to God's standard. And does that mean that I does that mean that I judge you when you're not living up to God's standard? No, because no one is, right? And I think that's the whole message. That's why I can't judge. Because I can't say to you, well, because you're not, so-and-so is going to have this problem and this is going to have this effect and eternally this is going to be the outcome. Can I look at someone and say, yeah, they're not living up to God's standard and identify it as a problem? Sure. There's no problem with that. We're taught in the scriptures all over the place how to judge. Mm -hmm. We're also taught not to judge. Final judgment, Elder Oaks would call it. 
But interim judgment, intermediate judgment, where we're identifying right and wrong, yeah, that's okay. That I can look at my, I love the, I love the way you said it, that you're comparing yourself to yourself, right? You're measuring yourself against yourself. I think there's some there's something that's okay in that for me to to look back to yesterday and say how am I compared to where I was yesterday? Am yeah. I am I one percent better maybe? Um, am I increasing a, a little bit from year to year? And is that the the growth pattern maybe matters? But that I don't start saying because I've declined, here's the outcome. Because I think this is my negative space and these are the reasons that I'm in this place in my life. And because of that, fill in the blank. Any fill in the blank is just made up. God's not telling you here's the outcome, right? Very, very rarely in this life is going to say to you, you're doing this and because of that, you're going to have this punishment. No, he gives us our whole lives to repent, right? (laughs) We have till we die to have the opportunity to repent of where we're at. And I think sometimes we put ourselves we put ourselves so far down by saying I'm not in the right space, I'm not doing the right things, and we effectively remove the atonement's capacity to improve our lives because we're unwilling to uh, to have it work for us, have Christ be part of the solution and fix the problem. And that measure, that the measure of rule which God hath distributed is not even applied to us because we're applying our own measure all to ourselves. It's, it's so sad. It's sad that we do that to ourselves, right? Right. That word commendeth is really easily, you could see it as condemneth, yeah, right? Like right. an accident, read it differently. And even though those are two different words, I almost feel like that's what you were, I heard what you were saying there, that maybe in trying to commend myself and thinking I should be something else, I end up condemning myself because <laughs> I can't reach that yeah, standard. Right. Well, and that's exactly right. What, what you said in 18, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth, right? I have no idea in the bottom parts of my life whether when I get to the next side, God's going to say, let me tell you why you were there. It had nothing to do with the things you thought, the reasons you thought you were down there and the reasons you condemned yourself for being there. It had to do with, and then he's going to point to a whole bunch of other stuff that was unrelated to what I thought and say, these were the conditions that were causing where you're at. And, and I think given that insight, I would be so much more patient with myself if I could see what God sees as the reason why I am where I am right now instead of the reasons I give myself for why I am where I am, right? There are things that, have, that I've struggled with my whole life that I just want gone, and I wanted them gone 20 years ago. And they're not massive. They're nothing that would keep me out of the temple or anything, but, but they're just things that I just don't want. And I think I know why I have them, but I don't actually know why I have them. And so when I go about trying to solve the problem myself, I'm giving my own measuring stick to it, saying, well, this is why I have the problem, so I'm going to go about solving it like this. But when I have gone to the Lord and said, okay, this is my problem. I know you know about it because it's been my whole life. (laughs) So I get things that I would never have come up with on my own through my own measuring stick, right? And I think that's, but I don't do that very long. I do it for couple of weeks and then I give up and I'm like, well, it's, I've got to solve it like that, right? I've got to go back to my own, my own wisdom and I fail. I've failed my whole life at it. But I know that if I turn it over to the Lord, I would be successful at it. I'm just unwilling. That makes me want to jump to 12. Okay, do Can it. Can we jump yeah, to 12? Jump. Yeah. Because Paul feels the same way that you do. Okay, good. Me and Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that he starts off by saying, first of all, he's talking about this guy that had a vision and the guy's him. I just love the way that he's saying that. And he's talking about how he's been able to have some really beautiful revelations. Yeah. But 
verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. <laughs> so basically, like, lest I think I'm the bee's knees, yeah. the coolest thing, because I get these revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Yeah. That's cool. There was given to me. Yeah. Just like you were saying, you had these weaknesses. It's not saying you made yourself this way. Right. These were given to <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, this thorn is a in the trial flesh. you were given, right? The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So there's a reason that we have these weaknesses. Good, yeah. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from mm. me. And instead of taking away, the Savior says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Mm. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. And it's turning to Christ. It's turning to the atonement. It's turning to his power, right? Ultimately, that's the answer. Yeah. That, that he's going to solve it by turning back to his own power. What a powerful statement. I've, I love the idea that what has helped me is that in, in those things that I'm weak at, right? Like Paul's saying here, I, what has helped me is that my desire to do something to do the to do whatever it takes to overcome this thing is measurable based on whether I've actually accomplished the thing or not or I'm able to accomplish the thing and if I don't accomplish it I think it's ultimately because my desire to become something else isn't enough mm. right like like if I look at those little trials those little things that I have that Paul has that you have that we all have right and I say I've been I've been struggling with it for years it's not that my desire to do it differently isn't there. It's that my desire to become who I would be without it isn't strong enough. If I can increase that desire, if I can see who that person would be and how my life would be different and how my relationships would be different and how all the things would be different, if I could really understand that that change is the ultimate change, not just not doing this thing anymore or doing this thing that I'm not doing, right? That, that task, if I, if I try to accomplish a task, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to accomplish the task eventually. But if I try to become something by accomplishing the task, then my growth is so much bigger. My, my mm -hmm. accomplishment is so much more something that I want to be able to, to show Heavenly Father and say, look what I became. Instead of, look what I overcame, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, but I love what Paul's saying here, too, because I think it's, it's in line with, um, well, 10, verse 10. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying, these things actually help me. And if I looked at them like, if I go through this trial, if I go through this feeling that I'm having, and I'm willing to let it change me to become more like Christ, then it becomes a strength in me, and I am becoming something more than just I overcame, right? I think it's exactly what he's saying in here. I'm seeing this cycle as you were talking that it's not about overcoming, it's about becoming. I love yeah. that you said that. But we're not going to become without Jesus. Right. And we're not going to turn to Jesus unless we have a reason to, which is our weakness to overcome. <laughs> exactly. So it's... It's circular. Yeah. And yeah. It, I love what he's... He's like, I'm okay that I have a weakness. I'm yeah. totally okay with it. Yeah. Because I wouldn't turn to Jesus without it. And so I think rather than beating ourselves up for what makes us weak, we should say, I'm so grateful for this. Yeah. I say that without knowing that I'm going to struggle with it myself. But <laughs> right. I'm... Because this is the thing that propels me to him that will help me become. Not just yeah. overcome, but become. Yeah. I think it's so important. I think it's so important that we start seeing our lives 
like they're intended to be seen as an as a process to become. Uh, it's what President Nelson and the apostles have been saying, right? That there's nothing more important than the gathering. And in doing that, you have to give your life to God. You have to say, whatever you need, I will do whatever you need, which means I'm going to overcome whatever problems I have so that I can become who you need me to be in order to accomplish the things you need accomplished on earth. It, it ultimately is giving up my life, right? It's giving away my desires, my plans, my objectives in life. To, to have God's objectives be first and foremost, right? Yeah. And I think that is everything President Nelson's having us think about and, and understand revelation for so that we're more and more willing to give up and to give in. I love that. That's beautiful. Mm. Okay, perfect. Keep going. Um, you start us. Start us in 11. Okay. We just need to mention three. I, I feel like this will kind of summarize a lot of what we talked about. Yeah, yeah. But I fear less by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, so one of Satan's tactics is to try to get us to complicate things. That's at least how I'm reading it. So I just love Elder Uchtdorf talks about simplifying. Yeah. It's in, it works wonderfully from October 2015. And okay. he shares the story of this Relief Society sister who... Um, wants to make this perfect lesson. She spends all night sewing this beautiful quilt and her children are sick, so she's up late and she's busy and she's stressed and she's worried, but she comes the next morning exhausted, scatterbrained with this quilt that says simplify. <laughs> and obviously he's using that to teach a lesson, but he goes on to say, brothers and sisters, if you ever think that the gospel isn't working so well for you, I invite you to step back. Look at your life from a higher plane and simplify your approach to discipleship. Focus on the basic doctrines, principles, and applications of the gospel. And then this promise. I promise that God will guide and bless you on your path to a fulfilling life, and the gospel will definitely work better for you. Mm. That's a promise I think a lot of us need to remember. That's Just really wonderful. Simplify it. Make it about Jesus. Don't complicate it. Yeah. I, you know, and, and maybe we go back to that verse. Uh, the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. I think you're exactly right. He complicated life for mm. her. But how did he do it? He simply said, you have to eat that fruit. You have to. In order for you to understand good and bad, you have to eat the fruit. And Eve, I think in her wisdom, recognized, oh, I actually do have to do that. But what did he do? He subtly taught, this is the only way. This is the only way for you to learn this. You have to go through negative. What would have happened? Now, I don't, the plan had to happen. Eve was right to have partaken of the fruit, and I don't think uh, anyone should, should hold Eve accountable any more than anybody else that would have done the same. But what would have happened if Eve had gone from that conversation with the adversary that maybe was the adversary just tempting her? I mean, whether the serpent was actually standing there in the garden or whether Eve was just having the thought, how can I do this if I don't do that? What would have happened if she had taken it to God and said, hey, I'm seeing a little bit of a conflict. How, how am I supposed to have children in a garden where I can't have children and gain knowledge of good and evil if I can't? So the simplicity that was Adam and Eve, right, was the thing that the adversary was able to dupe. Right, that to help them, uh, dupe is the wrong word. In fact, I'm going to take that out. The simplicity of Adam and Eve was the thing that the adversary ultimately used 
to cause them to do his will and not God's will, right? Yeah. And, and whether it was what needed to happen or not, Satan thought, this is how I'm going to get this thing to fall apart. God knew better and actually planned that as the plan, right? But, but he does that to us in, in how he just modifies the thought enough that it becomes, I have to do this. I have to make this choice. And it makes our lives more complex. Mm -hmm. It compl complicates our, our lives. And I just don't think, well, verse 4. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. Speaking of the adversary, like, that's the, that's the way you go awry. And uh, I, I just think he is so good at making me think about Christ as a different being mm. and helping me think that he would want me to do something he has never asked me to do or holds me to some expectation that he's never really asked me to hold myself to. Yeah, I and think really interesting. a lot of people can resonate. I know I can. When I make the gospel a list of have-tos, it takes out the joy. Yeah. And I love that. that where is that coming from? Who's yeah. telling you know that Jesus... His plan was the plan of agency, and He wants us to be our choice. And we read that He wants us to be our cheerful choice. Yeah. But I think when we make it a list of have-tos and we complicate it, then it becomes burdensome. And as Jean Stephen said, it's supposed to be wings, not weight. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Um, can I quote President uh, Uchtdorf? I still call him President. I think I should. I don't know. Elder Uchtdorf? President <laughs> I struggle Uchtdorf? with it, too. Men in particular, this is a quote from an October 2012 uh, talk called of regrets and resolutions. He said, men in particular sing this universal lament. They deeply regret spending so much of their lives on the daily treadmill of work. Many have lost out on choice memories that come from spending time with family and friends. They miss developing a deep connection with those who meant the most to them. Then he says, it is true that we often get so busy. And so, to say we even wear our busyness as a badge of honor, as though being busy by itself was an accomplishment of some high or sign of a superior life? Is it? <laughs> yes. Is being busy the sign of a superior life? He says, I think of our Lord and exemplar Jesus Christ and his short life among the people of Galilee and Jerusalem. I have tried to imagine him bustling between meetings or multitasking to get a list of urgent things accomplished. I can't see it. And I think he's so right. I can't see him doing that either. Yet I do it all day long, every day of my life with everybody I know. Everybody I know knows how busy Matt is, right? And, and I don't know why. I don't know why I feel like that is a need. It's, it's something the adversary has taught me, gets me some level of... Uh, compassion maybe for other people and so that's what I'm getting back that's the thing I'm receiving that's the mm -hmm. reward I'm getting some compassion thank you that's nice but it's not really what I want I have turned to the adversary's way subtly of saying just show everybody how busy you are and you will be given a great reward and it's not the reward I want at all and I look at the Savior and I think he didn't do that he and he was he had the most to accomplish in his short life right and so why do we do that? Why do we, why do we think we have to be that busy and have to be that preoccupied? I don't know. Yeah, that's making me think of a question. How do we, sometimes we're busy out of necessity. Yep. I'm sure a lot of what you do, you really couldn't stop doing. Sure. 
how do you simplify when you need to be busy yeah. to take care of your family, to survive? Yeah, and, and I think it's really a, qu a great question for young adults, too, that are doing five massive life-altering and eternal things all at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know the answer <laughs> or I would be doing it. I do know what I would say, and it kind of goes back to what Chad Webb taught me, that if I'm where I'm supposed to be, I really should be there mentally. And I'm not very good at that either, right? But, but because I'm so busy in all the different plates that are spinning, um, I think of Elder Bednar teaching about the different plates, um, the, the circus act that can spin a bunch of plates on sticks. And sometimes all those plates do need to be spinning. Um, but, if I, but if I'm focused on all of them spinning all at the same time, I can't actually make them all spin faster at the same time. So I focus on the plate in my left hand and I spin that one faster. And I know that the other ones aren't getting spun faster, they're slowing down. But I'll get back to them and I can focus in my left hand and then move to my right and to the one on my knee and the one on my foot, right? Maybe I also would recognize that some of those plates can be set down. Maybe they don't all need to be spinning. Um, but for sure, I think a way to do that is when you're at school, be at school. When you're with your spouse or your soon-to-be spouse, be with them. When you're with your children, be with them. And put your phone down <laughs> and stop doing all the other yeah. that can creep into our lives in a technologically-based world. Maybe that's an an a part of an answer. I'm not good at that, but, but maybe Well, you've got good words, at least. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you can talk the talk. Well, this has been so fantastic. Will you take us in maybe, maybe anything left in 12, anything left in 11, or jump us into 13? Maybe one more thought here. That I, before, I, before I have you do that, I just love some things in, in 11 that I think we would be remiss to leave out. Um, he, he talks about false prophets, false apostles, um, and transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. This is in verse 13. No marvel, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. I think, I think he really is helping us recognize that when we look at the simplicity of Christ, we will see those that are leading us to Christ also be simple. I think about what we're taught at General Conference how brilliant all those leaders are, men and women, who could stand up and just wax deeply on any topic. And yet, what do we get? We get the simple covenants, the, the ordinances, we get faith, we get how we treat each other, we get simple, um, and we get um, Christ right in the middle of all of it. We don't get flowery, bright and shiny apostles. We get very simple, though very intelligent. Um, and I think it's a sign of true apostles who we should be following. Yeah, one comment on that. My, I just finished my master's degree through BYU and yeah, I had a professor. You. Thank you. And I loved, this will stick with me forever. He said, I always want to be right behind the prophet, so close that I can touch his, touch his suit coat. Oh, cool. And I love this imagery that he doesn't want to be because of who they are and their connection to Jesus Christ, if I'm right behind the prophet, yeah. I can always be secure that who's in front of the prophet. <laughs> right. And so if I'm right behind the prophet, then I'm right behind the Savior. Yeah. And he said, I don't want to get too far back that if he turns a corner, I can't see him anymore. And I don't know where he went. And I don't want to get ahead of him. 
so that I can't see which way he goes because yeah. he's behind me. And so I, I love this. I, I just add my witness that these men are, they're called of him. Mm. And if I follow them, I'm following him. Yeah. And that's secure ground I need these days. Yeah, that's really wonderful. It, it maybe harkens to what we spoke about last week or the week before, I can't remember, where Paul is calling the people to follow him. Come follow me as I follow Christ. Such a cool line, such a cool instruction. And apostles and prophets can do that. They can invite you to follow them because they're the modern day living example of what Christ would do. I think it's, or at least what he would say, even if they're not perfect examples yeah. of what he would do, right? Yeah. Love that. Okay, sorry. Take us in. Anything else you want to touch on before we leave here? If we were going to end somewhere, I would think Second Corinthians 13 verse 5 yep. is where I would go. I love it. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Mm. And I look up what that word means, because I didn't know. Mm -hmm. It's a person abandoned to sin. Mm. And so if we are Jesus Christ, then we are not sins, is how I saw that. Sure. I think everything we've talked about today can kind of be summarized in that. Let's just take a good look at ourselves and how are we doing it following Him, yeah. our desires, our thoughts, our actions. And I'll read this by Dallin H. Oaks. He, he quotes that the Apostle Paul challenged us to examine ourselves. All of us should answer these challenges for ourselves, he said. Where is our ultimate loyalty? Are we like the Christians in Elder Neil A. Maxwell's memorable description who have moved their residence to Zion but still try to keep a second residence in Babylon? <laughs> there is no middle ground. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in His church and His gospel, and we should not use a visa to wait to visit Babylon or act like one of its citizens. Mm. We should honor His name, keep His commandments, and seek not the things of this world, but seek first to build up the kingdom of God mm. and to establish His righteousness. Wow. I know for myself, I, I should take some time to pause and examine how am I doing and let the Lord inspire me on areas that I can improve for the purpose of... I think he just wants to make my life better. Yeah. Sister Piper, thank you. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. What a wonderful line to close with today, that we might look at ourselves and examine ourselves and maybe ask God to show us where we're not in the faith, where yeah. we've where we've smashed the cookie dough outside of the <laughs> outside of the necessary like space for the cookie dough for the cookie cutter, right? Where are we a little too broad in how we're thinking or being or living? Uh, thank you for being here with us today. And I hope all of you out there have gleaned what I have gleaned from Sister Piper. She is such a fantastic teacher. Um, will you come back and be with us again? I would be honored to. I'd love it. We would love to have you. Thank you.